You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 296. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am super excited to have this show this week. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. There's like, man, this show is jam-packed. Content-packed. So much stuff to talk about. We have entered the one of the middle months of the year. It, uh, is, yes. it is now June. Yes. Two short weeks until our children are home full-time. Oh, boy. Are you ready? Obviously not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are ready for the show, if nothing else. We're going to have a lot of adventures to talk about this summer. I don't, I mean, we're we're, we're traveling for like two weeks this summer, but like there's a lot of just kind of stuff going on, different kids going different places, all sorts of wild stuff. There's a lot of extra stuff in this summer, even though there's not a lot of travel. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but anyway... Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing wife, Anitra. That's me, and thank you. (laughs) So I mentioned we have a jam-packed show for you. So I've got our facts this week. Notice I said plural. Uh, We've got our sponsor message, what we've been playing. We have some back talk. We had some amazing amazing back talk this week like literally like change my mood back talk this week we've got some new members to welcome a snap review and then our topic this week is actually going to be based on a an article that you wrote you wrote an article i wrote a blog post yeah, yeah. talking about board games and reading we're going to talk about that and then of course that thing that you're all waiting for truly i understand i get it i'm a human being you all want the contests those are coming the at the end of the show. There is so much stuff in this show. Let's get started Let's with go. our facts. Okay. Fact. Our first fact is about trains. So I this like goes trains. out to our dear friend Camden, who I know loves trains. The United States has set their limit on the length of freight trains at about 3.7 kilometers. That's the length limit. Wow. Which is already long. That's very long. It is 3,658 meters. That was done uh, because of the limits of the air brake technology in trains. Okay. So I would have thought it would have been related to weight. I don't know. I don't know. However, there was one record-breaking run on the Union Pacific Railway. This took nine locomotives to pull this run. The total length was 5.5 kilometers long. That's almost three and a half miles. 3.4 miles. It was 296 container cars long. So container cars, those are the freight cars that hold the same kind of containers that would go on the back of a 50-foot truck. I, I think or, so, or a 53-foot trailer um, kind of thing. Or on a deck of a ship. Or yeah, I mean, like well, yeah. the ones on the ships, like, those are stacked, like, 10 high and, like, 15. They're all the long. same containers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Containers are amazing. Yeah, so... I think a loose load 53-foot trailer is slightly larger than a trailer that would carry a container from a container ship or, you know, in this yeah, case, a, a truck. But, I mean, generally speaking, that's what you can kind it's of about think, size, think about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, yeah, 296 container cars on this record-breaking 3.4-mile-long train. 
You know what's really crazy is those super cargo ships hold even more containers than that on a single ship. And it's not even close. Like it, oh, it's yeah, insane. Not even close. It is insane how much they put on these cargo ships. Totally, totally nuts. So so that is my first fact for our friend Camden. Our second fact, we had a message from Zach, which by the way, Zach, like literally your email like made my day. So thank you. And we'll talk about that when we get to back talk. But This fact, not quite as absurd as you would like, but something that spoke to my heart and I wanted to share with you. There were, and I did not know this, in the NTSC format, which is what we have in the United States, 296 Nintendo 64 games. All right. Cool fact. Spoke to my heart. And those are my two facts for this week. Episode 296. That's awesome. I have a fact about First Move Financial, our sponsor. Yeah, we wanted to take this opportunity to really kind of clear the air a little bit. I think people think that financial help or financial advisors are only for people that have lots of assets and stuff like that. And so this is a really important fact that we wanted to remind everybody about. So our fact is that First Move Financial is a financial services firm started by Donnie Carpenter. And his focus is to help normal families work with their finances. This isn't just investing. It can include investing, but it's also spending every dollar wisely, knowing when to transition from debt payments to other important purchases, but mostly intelligently navigating the money world. Donnie is a board gamer just like us, so he completely understands the shelf of shame, (laughs) the shelf shelf of of opportunity. Opportunity, right. But you can go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers to find out more. I just think it's super important right now, you know, with inflation at seven eight percent or whatever everything's getting more expensive i think everybody's purses are tightening a little bit and finding those tricks those ways to get a little bit more out of every single dollar those are really great tips and really really helpful things that will help people for their entire lives so give donnie and first move financial a call they're just very very helpful with that kind of stuff all right let's get into it let's get into the show let's talk about what we have been playing So we finally played one of the games that we put on our 10 by 10 at the beginning of the year that hadn't gotten played yet. I can't believe we put it on the list and it hasn't been played. I I don't know how we're going to play it nine more times. Five plus months it took us to play Quacks of Quedlinburg once. Yeah, I don't even know how that's possible. I love this game. I don't don't know. All of our kids enjoy the game. I won't say they all love it, but it's one of the few games that no one in our family will say no to. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It also takes an hour plus with our children, especially. It takes well, yeah, I mean, and that's because, you know, we're playing this with a seven year old and an 11 year old and a 13 year old. I I mean, that's the thing. But I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't gotten played that much because getting everybody together, all five of us, and being like, we are going to sit down and do this for an hour and a half just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, you know, I I think that. I don't know that we ever officially discussed our rules for what qualifies for going on the 10 by 10. But I think the expectation that all five of us have to play the game, that should probably go away if we ever want to finish this thing. Well, so the expectation, I believe, is that at least two family members are playing the game. Sure. For a play to get recorded. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Yeah, so we did. We played Quacks of Quedlinburg with the whole family. I won that game. It was a lot of fun. I really like the big pumpkins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These are the big pumpkins from the Herb Witches expansion. The logo weed, also fun. We did have some epic moments in this game. So the um, the toadstools, I don't know what they are, the red ones? Yeah, the toadstools. So whatever book it was that we had for that was a pretty neat one where whatever the maximum toadstool value is that has come out into your pot now applies to any subsequent toadstools that come out. And so yeah. I think you and Claire seem to 
do that a lot? I definitely, once I had a level four toadstool, multiple times, it was one of the first couple of chips I pulled. Mm. And then every toadstool I pulled after that, oh, this one also gets to move right, forward. Right, right. This one also Actually, gets no, to I think it was forward. Asher that was using the toadstool yeah. thing. Claire's thing was the big pumpkins She and loved the, the big weed. pumpkins. Yeah, so she managed to pull a pumpkin, a, a six pumpkin and then loco weed right after it, which is, I mean, 12 spaces and two chips is ridiculous. Ridiculous. So there were a lot of really nice kind of epic moves in this one. For me, the strategy that I went with was the book for the Mandrake said that if you had at least one Mandrake, your bust threshold was eight instead of seven. If you had at least three, your bust threshold was nine instead of eight. So I went with a lot of Mandrakes and I went with a lot of the moths. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of the game, my initial drop was at like 10. Yeah. And uh, those mandrakes allowed me to just, I could get one or two more chips out every turn. Yeah. Because of that. And I just kind of built that up and, and progressively was getting a little bit ahead every single time. Although Asher, with his whole Toadstool 4 thing, he was the only one who actually maxed out the bowl a couple of times. Right. So personally, I actually also did the mandrakes fairly early. My biggest problem is that I busted on the last two rounds. Mm. Yep. And it was one of those play in the odds things and the one wrong chip came out and you're done. Yeah, I ended up winning with 60 points in that game and Asher was in second at 51. You had 49. Yeah. And then, you know, the others had, had something less. So, but you know what? I, I really think we all had fun. Claire probably had the least fun because she takes losses a little personally, but that's okay. But I think she came out of it determined to try different things next time. Mm-hmm. I have been playing a ton of Under Falling Skies. Yeah, you sure have, because that review is coming out hopefully the same day as this show. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a solo-only game that feels a little bit like Space Invaders. You're shooting down the I mean, guys coming down whether it feels like it or not, like that's certainly the construct of the game, right? There's this kind of fixed board, and there's a lot more happening vertically than horizontally, yeah. and it's about aliens attacking Earth. So interestingly, in starting to research to get ready to do the written review, I found out that this is technically a re-implementation from the oh, same designer. The initial version of Under Falling Skies was a nine-card print-and-play. What? <laughs> okay. Well, but once you see the game, that makes total sense. I mean, it didn't have the campaign mode and all of that, yeah, but yeah. it's a bunch of cards making your sky that the bad sure. guys come down. Sure. And then like two cards making up your base with all the special powers that you're trying to use. And that's basically it. Interesting. So the thing about Under Falling Skies that is bugging me a little bit is that because it's so number focused, like every time you place a die, you're both thinking about how am I going to use the number on this die for the, you know, the function in the room that it's in, mm -hmm. but also how many spaces is this going to move the bad guys down and where do I want them to end up? So that balancing of numbers back and forth means that the box says a game takes 20 to 40 minutes. I don't think I've ever played in less than 40, even when I lost. <laughs> okay. Most of the time, my plays have been an hour or more. And for me, especially with a solo game, playing a bunch of games at an hour or more really adds up quickly. I normally would not do this except for I need to get far enough <laughs> into it to review it. Right, right, right. It's certainly not a bad game. I enjoy it. I have fun with it. 
but setting aside an hour to play is not normally where I'm at with solo games. Yeah, this is like Zenial Mom does not have time to play an hour plus solo game. Right. And the, the number <laughs> with, crunching with preteen children. And the number crunching is enough that it's not really something I want to do after the kids go to bed. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However <laughs> You'd much rather have a drink and go to sleep yourself. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, however, unlike some of the other longer solo games I've played, this is one where you can definitely play for five or ten minutes, step away, come back later. I would play, you know, one or two rounds, take about 15 minutes, and then be like, okay, see you later, game, and just leave it set up. Yeah, so, I mean, that obviously only works if you have a dedicated play space that you can leave it, right? Correct. It takes up a weird amount of space. <laughs> okay. It's a very, very tall game, but very narrow. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the kind of thing where if you have any extra, quote-unquote, room on your kitchen table or dining room table, you could leave it set up and still use the rest of the table for eating and whatever else. Sure. So I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's a good game. It's definitely not for everybody. And I'm right on the cusp of people that it's maybe for, but maybe not. For. Well, I think that's good for in a review you know, yeah. situation because it allows you to kind of have that perspective of this is what works and this is what doesn't. So, I mean, you know, good on you. Good job, honey. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> Next on the list is going to be Sunny Day Sardines. So this is a game we released the snap review for this on Friday. And you're going to hear the audio for that snap review in the middle of this show. I mean, this game is a basic set collection game. It's very simple, and you can tell that this is a basic, straightforward set collection game because we played it as a family, and uh, Elliot won. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Our seven-year-old won the game. I love that it's a very reactionary game, so mm -hmm. you don't have to sit there and get bogged down in trying to plan stuff out. Just like, oh, this is here. That seems like a good choice. I will do it. Done. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of like a little bit of planning, I guess. Oh, yeah, but, you know, you the game is very, it's going to sound weird to say, the game is very honest with you that you can't hold on to your plans. Everybody who has played this in our family has kind of recognized that without needing to be told. Like sometimes, you know, when you play a game with a kid and you know there's like maybe some take that mechanics or something mm -hmm, that is going to mm -hmm. upset a kid. And you're like, I just want you to know this is a thing. It might happen. It's part of the game. It's fine. Everybody still loves everybody at this table. You're going to be okay. But like with this game, like you don't have to explain to the kids, hey, you know, hold on to your plans, but like hold on loosely. Like it's kind of obvious it's that it might be so fall apart. straightforward yeah. that you figure that out within like two, three turns. Yeah, and it's like, oh, man, that really stinks. Not like, I can't believe I've been building up to this thing for, like... Right, because there's... Oh, I have all these other choices. Of so things I can little do. that requires multiple, multiple turns to set up mm -hmm. to execute that you don't have that kind of built-up expectation that gets dashed when somebody takes that one card that you need. So mm -hmm. that's actually a really, really good thing about this game, especially when playing this game with kids. Also, the game's inexpensive. It's $15. You can get it on Amazon. It's great. This game just came out. Brand new game. Super cute. Nice little tight tin fits in your purse or a pocket or whatever it's a great great easy to learn easy to understand game a lot of fun that's sunny day sardines from 25th century games so i'm going to talk about another game that is small inexpensive and great for traveling <laughs> which is railroad inc challenge oh yeah so i will admit i have been playing the app for railroad inc challenge from horrible guild on a regular basis for months i just enjoy it making the roots is neat in the app, there's all kinds of special challenges that you could never do with the regular game. And that's fun, too. So I tried to buy this game for you on the sly, <laughs> but it was out of stock 
freaking everywhere. So here's the thing for me. We saw this on the shelf in our local game store and I was like, ooh, they have the yellow and the green. Our son Asher was there with us and I'm looking at him like, hmm, which one? You know what? I'm going to go with the green. I'm not going to be gluttonous and take both. (laughs) Take one for now. I think you guys will enjoy it. We'll try it. He enjoys it. He enjoys it a lot. He enjoys it probably almost as much as I do. (laughs) I did not know because my main exposure to it had been through the app, that the boxes have two different expansions in them. Okay. So two different sets of expansion dice. Uh, And normally you choose one expansion or the other to play. Our son, being who he is, after learning them both, was like, let's try a variant where it uses both expansions. Sure, whatever. (laughs) Um, That sounds very Asher. (laughs) I know, right? But here's the main thing for me. I had tried Railroad Inc. before, Blazing Red and Deep Blue are the two original Railroad Inks. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Railroad Inc. Challenge adds just enough things that change up game to game that it feels way more interesting. It feels like every game is different. So this is like the difference between playing a, you know, regular old vanilla game of, say, Welcome to or Hex Roller or whatever versus something where it's like, well... Now you have these special goals and challenges you're trying to reach, which are going to shape your strategy for that particular game on top of you have no idea what the dice you're going to come up as. Okay. So highly, highly recommend Railroad Inc. Challenge. You're going to hear it come up again in the monthly report because we bought it in May. (laughs) (laughs) Next on my list, another great, simple family game that we just hadn't managed to get and get to the table much. This is a game that we got in from AEG for review, and it is Point Salad. Yeah, this is going to come up again in our reading discussion. Yes. Because Point Salad has just enough words on it to be really helpful to a beginning reader. You do not need any of the words to play the game, but being exposed to the same words over and over again will help significantly. Okay, so here's my thing with Point Salad. So we played this with the entire higher family all five of us played this yes. game and i remember point salad was it an sdj nominee did it win i don't remember it, it, was, it was at least nominee. nominated it was a nominee i yeah. think it, i think it was nominated the year that just won one okay I, I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, this is a game that I feel like I have a foot in both worlds. Like, on the one hand, I do this family gamers thing, and, like, I like these family weight games, and I can really appreciate what they bring to the table, you know, yeah. with regards to how you can sit down and play this with, you know, multi-generations and, and all this stuff. And I, and I really, really like that stuff. But also, I'm a giant nerd, and I like games probably up to complexity, like, 3.6. 3.7. On, that's on like, the BGG rankings. That's yeah. my, you know, mm, where I really want to be. I mean, I'll go to four, but like the 3.75 yeah. is where I really want to be. But anyway, so this game is not that. Like this game is super simple. Mm-hmm. But I'm playing this game and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, nominee for, you know, best game of the year. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yep, this is a really freaking good game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm like, yep, I, you know, this is a great family game. Yes. Great family game. Yes. It is not a absolute beginners kind of game well it's got dynamic set collection in the game so that's definitely a thing that's not really a beginner thing because it's not like these are the six sets collect the sets and you'll win the game right right and it's not like sunny day sardines where it's like oh collect this set turn it in get these i mean that's that's don't worry about it yeah it's kind of the basic set collection kind of yeah point salad is way more dynamic than that and you're choosing 
scoring cards as well as vegetable cards. And it's got that back and forth and the, oh, if I take this, it'll make my tomatoes worth more, but it's also going to give me negative points for this other vegetable. Is it worth it? Is it not? I can't wait because it's not going to be there the next time it comes around. Well, And you can look around the table and make the decision to take or not take something, knowing that that is going to cause something else to be or not be available. Mm -hmm, So there's mm -hmm. definitely next level strategy going on here. But you can just play this like straight up. Right. And just grab stuff that you want. And you don't really have to think about a lot of that stuff. I mean, that's pretty much what our son Elliot did. And he won the game. <laughs> he did win the game. <laughs> this is actually so I know we talked about them separately, but we we actually played this game back to back with Sunday Day Sardines and he won both of them. And I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'm done playing board games if I keep losing to a seven year old tonight. But you know what? That's fine. I'm fine with that. I think it's a great time, though, and we're definitely going to be playing and talking about point salad. More oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, again, you know, it's like it's that kind of feeling that you have when there's like some great classically regarded game that just for some reason you never manage you to get it to the played. table or yeah. play it or whatever. And then you play it and you're like, All oh, right. I see why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was funny. So why don't we do this? Why don't we switch over to a couple of two-player games, or at least games that we played at two players players. instead of games that we played at five players with children (laughs) and rare. The first one is the game that we reviewed last Monday, and that is Watergate from Capstone Games. So I finally got to play this as you were writing your review, basically. Well, because I wanted it to be an informed edit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fair. It made it easier to take the pictures. Mm -hmm. This is a really cool game. So when I was at Gamma, I was talking to the folks at Capstone Games, and... One of the guys there said, this is the best two-player game that has ever been made when he gave the game to me. I'm not sure I agree with that, but right. it's a really interesting game. I, I do think he oversold it a little bit, but I do think this is a masterpiece game. I also think this is one of those games that we talk about sometimes, especially with historical subjects, where you will learn about the subject as you play yep. without trying to. Yes. Without trying to jam it in sideways. Well, in two ways, right? So the rule book for this game is 23 pages long. The rules for this game are 10 pages long. <laughs> so yes, there is a whole bunch of historical information in the rule book. But even without that, there are names and events of things that actually happened related to the Watergate scandal And you begin to understand why different elements of this were important. And that's before you even really read any of the flavor text or anything else. Right. But like you're going to play cards and you're like, okay, this thing, like, I don't know what this gemstone, Operation Gemstone is, but it's really powerful. And And then why is that? And then you can go to the book and you can be like, all right, tell me what this thing is. And then you can really learn. So like you're learning things, you're learning like key words or phrases, like who is Sloan? You know, how is he involved? Like like people have heard like Woodward and Bernstein, right? Like maybe not kids, but like as adults, like I wasn't alive when the whole thing went down, but, but I knew those names. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I watched all the president's men, Uh, (laughs) but I, I didn't remember all these other people, but like playing through this game with this kind of like back and forth sort of deductive kind of like, I don't want to call it pressure luck, but like there's this poking, prodding kind of feeling thing with this back and forth seesaw momentum thing going on. But like all these things, everything is real. And especially for for those of us who are in, you know, the United States, like this thing happened, but it's like this kind of like thing that's obscure and in history. It happened a long time ago, right? There is some kind of extra edge knowing that these are real things. 
Yeah, well, you know what it, I mean? it makes me think a little bit of some of the other really good historical games we've played, uh, one of them being World's Fair 1893. Yes. Where everything in the game is a real thing from that time, from that event. But in Watergate, it's so tightly tied to what was actually going on. And part of it is that you are battling back and forth. Nixon is trying to secure the support of his conspirators while the journalists are trying to get some of the conspirators to turn and become informants. You know, it might be that it's just a two-player game. Like, I don't know exactly what it is, but when we look at a historical game like Discoveries or like World's Fair or like even a lot of the stuff that Genius Games does where you're learning a lot of science as you go through these games, like, there is something, like, really visceral about Watergate and, like, the fate of the United States is hanging in the balance. You know, I mean, it really feels that way. Like, I mean, yes, it's a it's it's a board game. Like, I, whatever. I didn't feel that same visceral. I just thing. I, so you played. I don't remember. Did you play? You played as Nixon, right? I played as Nixon. Yeah. So you knew you were supposed to lose. Like, that's how it worked. But I've played as both sides. And like, yeah. there's a really defined, like, I'm clawing for everything I can possibly get, yeah. I, you know, in order to have this success kind of thing, which I don't really feel about a lot of those other games. And it, and maybe it's just because it's two players. Like, it's, I, I can fixate all of my attention on this one player. And it's not kind of like, you know, this like side by side solo game or it's not kind of, you know what I mean like it, everything you do has a direct influence on the other player yeah it's almost like a war game in that yeah respect. it really is yeah. it really really is so that's Watergate it's, from Matthias Kramer it's, it's a war game of the mind <laughs> I commend you to go to thefamilygamers.com and read the review on this one. But this is a great game if you are in school, if you might be learning about Watergate and kind of what happened with this whole thing. It's really, really interesting. This might make a great gift for a older father in your life. If, oh, sure. If they like, well, like is the wrong word, are interested in the history of the Watergate scandal. Pro tip for all the 20-year-olds out there. Give this to your dad and be like, I'll play this with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, on a completely different note. <laughs> totally different. So the last game on our plays for this week is the Whatnot Cabinet. This is another one we picked up at the local game store. Mm -hmm. I am keeping these games off the shelf of shame by playing them within two days of buying them. It's <laughs> not a bad strategy because I'm looking at our shelf of opportunity right opportunity. now. Opportunity. And there is many games that I'm like, man, there, I really there are want many. to play that game. Yes. Man, I really want to play that game. Man, mm. I really want to play that game. Well, maybe we should finish the podcast so we can sorry <laughs> uh, so this is the whatnot cabinet the whatnot cabinet is about collecting and arranging tchotchkes in your cabinet after we played it the first time at two players you said to me that it feels an awful lot like sagrada but simpler yes absolutely and i still feel that way and i think you're right i mean it's not an exact one for one no, 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 overlap no, no. but there's enough of the same idea in there of arranging and trying to meet certain goals and trying to hit certain things certain ways that given how little time I have to play the games I really, really love, I think the Whatnot Cabinet may kind of replace Sagrada for me. Ugh. I know. Ugh. But the Whatnot Cabinet... I just bought the folded space insert and the five and six player expansion for Sagrada. I'm not committing to anything yet. <laughs> but the Whatnot Cabinet takes 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, this really comes down to like a board game triage thing, which, you know, that might actually be a kind of a topic for the <laughs> show is like, how do you triage this whole collection situation and, and yeah. all this stuff? And we've talked about purging on the show. <laughs> like we've moved on from games that we love because it's just not the right time in our lives. And if we want to pick them up another time, we'll just go get them again. Like whatever. 
this is very much that kind of a situation where the whatnot cabinet right now for our time or for especially for you because like Sagrada's your game like you know whatever it's a type of game i really enjoy but done in a way that's faster more accessible less setup less teardown mm-hmm. it just goes faster and let's be fair i like sagrada because the arrangement in the stained glass window really makes sense to me but the whatnot cabinet does that without any numbers Mm. So Sagrada is a five by five square, right? Yes. Yeah. So Whatnot Cabinet is a three by four grid. <laughs> yeah. It's just way simpler. It's less than half of the spaces. It also doesn't have any of the same placement restrictions that Sagrada has. Mm-hmm. You're looking more at can I maximize my score by making the best possible placements versus like I can only put a blue two here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really liking it. I'm looking forward to, at some point soon, playing it with more than two players, but I played it with you, and then I also played it with Asher, and it definitely seems like the kind of game I'm not going to have to fight hard to get somebody to play with Mm -hmm. me. Well, the commitment level is so low. Like, that barrier of entry is so low on a game like this. So, you know what? This is a game we bought, so we're probably not going to release a review of this. We've got enough stuff that's in the review queue. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, it's fun. It's a great game from Pencil First Games. Uh, Steve Finn actually showed me a prototype of this like three years, years ago, ago yeah. at, at PAX Unplugged. But um, yeah, that's nice. The Whatnot Cabinet. It's relatively inexpensive too. I think we paid $25, maybe $30. Uh, yeah, it's in that range. I mean, I'll just tell you right now, the names on it are Steve Finn, Eduardo Baroff. Yeah, Steve and Ido worked. I mean, that's Pencil And first. Beth Sobel. Yeah, she did the art. So, yeah, it's pretty. So like three of my favorite board <laughs> game related people all collaborating on this and it works. Well, I mean, you know, let's take a step back. Like Pencil First is a great company. They release great games. Yes, they they did Skull Hollow. Yes, they, they did. They did Peak. <laughs> These are great games like, mm-hmm. that we love. So yeah, a lot of good stuff coming from uh, from that company. All right, Anitra, it's yes. time to do the thing. The thing that we haven't done that we said we were going to do. <sighs> this is so embarrassing for me. I looked at my insights and I'm just like, oh, this is so sad. I'm sorry. It's so sad. So what I'm you're getting progressively about, worse. So what you're talking about is the monthly reports. Yes. Which so, we said we were going to try to do every month and we did January and February. Yeah, we did it for two months and then <laughs> we didn't do it for March and April because life is life. And then we're back, baby. We're back. We're going to do May. the monthly report for May. So I'm just going to give you some very, very quick numbers. So here's my numbers for the year. January, 30 plays of 18 unique games. February, 24 plays of 20 unique games. March, 23 plays of 16 unique games. April, 23 plays of 18 unique games. May, Mm -hmm. 13 plays of 11 games. May was not a good month for me. My age index for May was two. (laughs) I mean, the 13 plays of 11 games kind of tells me that. Yeah. 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 What are the two games that you played two times? Uh, the Goonies. Okay. And Sunny Day Sardines, which we got like the last week or the second last week of May. All right. Well, my May is 39 plays of 20 games. I like it. That's closer. to Actually, that's better than any other month of the year for me. So With an H index of three, but those three games I played five times each. Okay. Which ones were they? This should not surprise anyone. They were Railroading Challenge, which we bought literally like... Two days before the end of May. <laughs> Under Falling Skies, which okay. as I mentioned, I've been playing Good. a lot to get ready to review. Good. And Unmatched. Oh, Unmatched. Much Unmatched. Yeah. Yeah, this is depressing. So Goonies and Sunny Day Sardines, I played twice. And the following games, I played one time each. Batman, Everybody Lies. I'll be getting another play of that in tomorrow. Mountains Out of Mole Hills. Quingo. Railroad Inc. Challenge. Top Trumps. Unmatched. Voltage. Watergate. The Whatnot Cabinet. Yep. 
That's it. So hopefully June will be better with I hope so. kids out of school and fewer extracurricular activities. Yeah. That means time to play games and also time to review games. Well, let's see. It is currently, you know, June 3rd, and I'm at three games played in June, so I'm pacing for better. All right. <laughs> let's do this. All right. So I'm excited. I'm excited. And then on June 4th, I'll play at least one game. It's already scheduled. So we're going to be, You'll we're going to make it. We're going to make okay. it, Anitra. It's going to be okay. All right. So that's our kind of depressing monthly report. I mean, I don't feel like mine is depressing, but sure. All right. But let's get into something that's amazing and awesome, and that is backtalk. So I mentioned during the fact part of the show that we got some backtalk from a guy named Zach. I'm going to read you Zach's email. So today, I mean, look, today was Friday. It was the last day of the week at work. It's a long week. And right about the middle of the day, I broke for lunch. I came back to my desk and I got this email. Hi, Andrew. I am Zach. I am almost 11 years old. I listen to your podcast every night, and I really enjoy it. Two things. One, I demand a fact. (laughs) Two, I prefer absurd facts. Sincerely, Zach. Thank you, Zach. This email, like, literally completely changed my day. I was so happy to get to... a lot of what we do in podcasting is, I mean, look, we love to do this. We have a lot of fun. I get to hang out with my wife and talk about board games for an hour because I'm a giant nerd. That's a cool <laughs> thing for me. But at the end of the day, like we do this because we want to be heard and we want to know that we're making a difference. And Zach sending us this email and saying that you listen. I mean, maybe you don't listen to our podcast every night. I, I'll take the hyperbole. I love it. But the fact that you're enjoying it is awesome and i hope that we're giving you some cool ideas for some cool stuff to do and i hope your parents listen too because like I mean, that would be fun that would be great and fun but we were both really touched to get this email and so i really appreciate it very much and that n64 fact was for you my dude <laughs> so we got another email that the subject line said i demand a fact so i look i went back and listened to the beginning of last week's show and i'm glad i didn't cut that stuff out yes. every once in a while we have some stuff that just gets a little bit too goofy and i end up cutting it out of the show but it felt so good i left it in and i'm really really glad that i I'm did i'm glad you did too so michael mccabe from the game schooler podcast the doctor michael he also demands facts (laughs) so i am glad that there are enough people out there who like the facts enough to email in and be like i don't necessarily have a fact but i like hearing them every week (laughs) yeah i I very much had that pressure of like put up or shut up dude (laughs) and that's why i brought two facts to the show this week also they were both you know interesting to different people that i thought would find them interesting so that helped so thank you also dr michael mccabe for your email (laughs) and you'll be getting an email from me sir (laughs) I just want to use this as an opportunity to encourage you, listener. Why don't you send an email or a message or whatever to a podcaster you listen to this week? It doesn't have to be us. I mean, it'd be great. It'd be great if it was us. But but really, anybody. Yeah. Because podcasting especially can often feel like nobody is listening. Yeah. So let somebody know that you're listening. Look, we see the numbers. We know people are downloading the show. And trust me, like, we appreciate that the show is even getting downloaded (laughs) at all. Like, we do appreciate that. But it, it really is very special. I mean, it seems like such a minor thing to shoot an email off to someone. But it really means a lot. Yeah. That's the end of our back talk. We won't take it from our kids, but believe me, we love getting it from you guys. 
So, all right. So, why don't we do this? Let's take a break. When we come back from our break, we will welcome our new community members. Mm-hmm. Got a bunch of new community members. We're excited to welcome them. And then we're going to get into our topic for the week, which is board games and reading, a topic about which Anitra has written a number of words. We'll be right back. Sunny days sweeping the clouds away. Andrew, pay attention. Wrong title, wrong topic. Look, sardines. I'm sorry. We're not here to talk about the streets. The streets. We're here to talk about the newest cannery around, the Sunny Day Sardines Sardine Cannery. This is a snap review for Sunny Day Sardines, a new quick casual game from 25th Century Games. Complete the most orders and become Employee of the Month. So let's talk about the art in this game. <laughs> sure. So Sunny Day Sardines doesn't really have a lot of like special amazing art in it. It's fish. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. two kinds of cards. Order cards and fish cards. It's immediately obvious what kind of card each one is. And the only thing that's even a little confusing is the multicolored orders, but even those are pretty easy to understand, honestly. Now, fish are not exactly the most interesting thing to look at, so we're not, like, bowled over by incredible, super realistic art or anything like that, but it does fit the theme perfectly, and it couldn't be more clear. Plus, I mean, the entire game comes in this super adorable sardine tin, so, I mean, it really does tie together super well. It's real cute. So, Anitra, how do we play Sunny Day Sardines? Well, the gameplay is just about as straightforward as the art. Everyone starts with two sardine cards in their hand, and on a player's turn, they can either take two fish worth of sardine cards. So that's either two cards with one fish each, or one card with two fish on it. Or instead of taking fish, they can fill an order by discarding the required fishes. Fishes. And taking the order card. (laughs) Fishes. (laughs) That's it. The only other rule is that you can't have more than six cards in your hand at the end of your turn. So you're going to keep going around and around until the last order card is slipped face up. Then you finish the round so everybody has the same number of uh, turns. And then you tally up your points. It couldn't be easier. So, Anitra, what did we expect from this cute little game? We had no idea what to expect. We were lucky enough to have a copy sent to us before almost anyone was talking about it. So we had no sense of the gameplay at all. We just knew it was small. Yeah. So the rules don't even take up both sides of these three cards. So we figured it was probably going to be pretty easy and straightforward. I wasn't super excited about the theme, but it's really just a framework for set collection. So I'm fine with that. Set collection is fun. Yeah. So what surprised us about Sunny Day Sardines? Well, I wasn't really surprised that the game was going to play fast, and it did. I didn't think it was going to be a brain burner, fairly simple, but even light games can bog down at higher player counts, and this one didn't at all, and that was great, even when we played it at its full four players. There's so little to do on any given turn, you're either going to take two fish or fill an order, that you can't be prone to analysis paralysis, especially at those higher player counts where three players go between your turns. You can't reliably plan out your turn, so you're always reacting to the current condition instead. So, while we can see that being kind of frustrating for younger gamers who are used to being able to plan and then their plans get ruined, the reality is it makes the game flow faster. Speaking of your youngest gamers, there is no reading in this game at all. 
there is a small amount of numeracy, uh, counting and recognizing numbers up to six. But that's it. Yeah, the game doesn't even have an age on it. I think it says, you know, don't let kids under three touch this kind of thing, but that's normal. And that's perfectly fine. This game can go all the way down to any age level that can basically keep their attention on the table. The tiny box. It's a tin. All right. <laughs> and the really fast play make this a great game to travel with. You can pull it out and play it whenever. I think you could even add a fifth player without changing the gameplay really at all. Sunny Day Sardines is brand new. It was just released this week, and it's already under $15 on Amazon. We'll include a link to that below. So, Anitra, what should we rate Sunny Day Sardines from 25th Century Games? Well, it's a simple, quick filler game that scratches a little bit of that set collection itch. It's not deep, but that's okay for that casual family setting where you want a game that takes maybe 15 minutes. We're going to give Sunny Day Sardines three and a half fish out of five. Not fishes. And that's Sunny Day Sardines in a snap. And we're back. Hey, hey, hey. All right. It is time to welcome our new community members. We have 12 new community members in the last two weeks. Yes. Yes. That is an average of 0.85 per day. I don't yeah. know how you get 0.85 <laughs> new members per day, but I'll take it. We'll take it. All right. So welcome to Julie. Welcome to Derek. Jasmine. Sean. Welcome to Gabby. Welcome to George. Welcome to Anthony. Welcome to Alanis. Welcome to Rich. I have to confess, I basically, I actually took Rich's phone and clicked the join the community <laughs> button, but that's okay. He's a good guy. Welcome to Th Sam. Thanks for letting Andrew do that, Rich. <laughs> uh, welcome to... Kemphole. And welcome to Michael. We are so excited to have you be part of the Family Gamers family. Yes, it is so great. This community is super wonderful. If you're not part of the community, what are you waiting for? We'll give you the link later on in the show. But go there, talk about games you're playing, talk about, I don't know, your feelings on Watergate, like whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as it's Family Games related, we do curate this community, so there's not a lot of people going in there and link dropping and being obnoxious and stuff like that. You know, we'll kick you out if you're obnoxious. But yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just a great place to talk about family gaming and really, you know, what kinds of games are working for your kids. So, yeah, do it. Do you it can talk now. about absurd facts, too, if you really want to. I mean, if you want, you know, dad jokes are uh, are acceptable. Recommended. <laughs> Recommended is a strong word. <laughs> All, right. All right. Time to be serious. Okay. Yes, ma'am. We're going to talk about board games and reading. Okay. So there's two things about reading with board games. The first one that I tried to cut out a lot of this from the blog post because it was getting too long, is there are so many games out there with no reading required. Mm -hmm. And not all of them are, you know, little kid games or the kinds you would think of. So if you have a kid who's still struggling with reading at the age of like eight or nine or ten, there are games you can play where it removes that from the equation so they don't have to feel dumb when they're supposed to be having fun yeah i mean you know when you talk about games with no reading required one thing that i think is really important to talk about here is look it might mean that maybe a parent is involved or someone who can read is involved in kind of setting it all up or and i don't mean setting it up every time you go to play the game but like teaching the rules teaching and, and, and yeah. recognizing that stuff. because even like an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old who's struggling with reading still understands patterns and can still recognize yeah. a lot of the great graphic design i mean 
board gaming has really upped the quality of the graphic design mm-hmm. over the last mm-hmm. decade. And you know, you've got great games like like an Onitama, which technically has reading, but you don't need it if you understand the symbols. Or King Domino is another example. So of that. Onitama is the only one in the picture that I put in that post that has even numbers or words on it in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Everything else is symbols only. Well, but we talked about two games earlier that you don't really need to know anything about reading to be able to play in Sunday Day Sardines and in In Point uh, Salad, Salad, right? So so those are games where the graphic design is strong enough to carry it through. Like, it's a little bit easier, especially with Point Salad. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit easier if you can read. You can just kind of parse the you know and decode the context goes a little bit better. The scorecards are a little bit easier. But you don't need it, right? And once you kind of know how it works you can move on with your life or it'll be something where you can play the game without needing to know how to read. And then maybe just some assistance at the end with scoring or something like that Mm -hmm. is what you need to bring it over the finish line. So as a parent, you can play a game with a kid who can't read because it doesn't really affect the entire play experience. But at the end, you just need a little bit to, to wrap it up. And that actually will help kids to want to go to that next level and want to grab onto those things and want mm-hmm. to figure that stuff out. Because I, I can tell you stories and stories about parents that I've talked to where you know what they used to teach their kids how to read? Comic books. You know why? Because kids wanted to know what was going like on them. in comic books. Yes. Right. And you can do that with board games too. I'm just going to fire hose you some no reading required (laughs) games first. Okay, awesome. So for really little kids, so there's not even written numbers on these games, only symbols, super clear, any memory game, pretty much. The It's a Small World Disney game that we here at the Family Gamers reviewed, I don't know, six, eight months ago now. (laughs) Any Habba Yellow Box game. They never use even numbers in their really little kid games. It's always symbols. Mm -hmm. Go Away Monster, which is an old favorite of ours. Dragomino, which takes King Domino and simplifies the scoring and puts a little more luck in it. My First Castle Panic. Tons and tons of little kid games. But if your kid is struggling but looks at those as being for little kids and they want something more grown up, Gnomes at Night. One of our favorite cooperative games that requires no reading at all. So this game has a vertical board and you have two people that are actually collaborating to move pieces around that are connected together through the board with magnets to accomplish some goals. It's it's yes. a really, really clever game. Drop It, which also has a vertical board and has numbers on it, but the numbers are the only thing you need to read in the entire game. My favorite game with the worst name possible, mm, <laughs> by Reiner Kinesia. <laughs> this is a great puzzle cooperative game of rolling dice, pressing your luck, and covering up food in the pantry for the mice to take. Cinco Linko. Classic. We talk about it all the Classic. time. Yep, absolutely. Spot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also yeah. great. Maze Racers, which we haven't talked about in a while, but this is a great two-player game where both of you at the same time build a magnetic marble maze on a whiteboard and then you swap whiteboards and race the marbles. It's very clever, right? It's a very simple and yet clever game. And it's the kind of game where being a good reader versus a non-existent reader doesn't change the way you play the game at all. Um, And another one in this kind of family game category is Battlesheep. Sure. Love Battleship. Mm-hmm. If you want even a little bit more of a grown-up feel than that, I have a couple more suggestions. One is Mountains. 
So this is a habit game that does not come in a yellow box. You know, looks a lot more grown up, feels a lot more grown up. But I found that we could play it with our youngest, Elliot, when he wasn't reading yet. Because again, no reading, no numbers. Everything is done through symbols. We enjoyed Bees the Secret Kingdom. And it's gorgeous. And as long as you're not using the special power beehive cards, no reading. None. Zero. And I would be remiss if I did not mention Century Golem Edition. This is huge for our family. Yeah, I mean, Century Spice Road, just as good. But Golem Edition has Sparkly these super gems. cute golems. I mean, golems. the golems are great. Like, it, I would say to anybody, if you have this game and you haven't spent some time just going through the golem cards and looking at them and trying to figure out what they're oh, doing, they're it. amazing. They're absolutely amazing. The Playground Golem and the Firefighter Golem and the <laughs> Anchor Golem are always going to be my favorite. I like the Lighthouse Golem. <laughs> I like that guy. Anyway. So all these kinds of games, there's so many options, and that's part of why I wanted to firehose this, because there's just so much there if you just really start thinking about it and examining it. So one of the things that you did that I think was really, really interesting in this blog post is that you broke out what reading really is into, I think, six different kind of categories of things that are critical to the learning to read process. Yeah, so there are six skills that I found through research, and I linked to one of the posts that enumerates them all. But when I tried to explain these skills to our kids, they were just kind of like, I don't get it. What do you mean these are skills? Well, they're kind of abstract concepts that all blend together to make the reading skill. It's also the kind of thing where once you're a strong reader, you don't think about any of these. They've become automatic. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reason that I think it's important to look at these as independent things is that some kids might struggle with one or two of these things and being stronger at the other four. Yes. And so when we talk about these, you know, as a parent, you might be thinking like, oh, I think that might be the component that my kids are struggling with. And so Mm -hmm. because we have Mm -hmm. games associated with each one of these disciplines, maybe this will be kind of helpful. Games or techniques. It depends on the skill. (laughs) So decoding is what... I think most of us think of when we think of learning to read, that's matching letters with the sounds they make. Phonics. With really, really young kids, you can do this without even actually looking at the letters. You can lay a groundwork for it with rhyming, alliteration, and pointing out like, oh, these words kind of sound the same at the end of the word. These words kind of sound the same at the beginning of the word. And that'll lay the foundation for learning how to do some decoding. If you have bananagrams or Scrabble, but especially bananagrams, you can use that as a tool for like making word endings and trying different letters on the front of it so kids can understand how those rhymes and letter combinations work. There are also games that build on decoding letter recognition or sound recognition with games like flip picks which has you literally match a letter with a starting sound or sequence letters does the same thing and anomia kids which again will help with this skill with no actual letters on the cards at all it's matching starting sounds i combined skills two and three uh, (laughs) because in board games they kind of go together So skill two is fluency and word recognition. If you are presented with a word you have not seen before, you need to see that word somewhere between 14 and 40 more times before it becomes a word you don't have to sound out, what we call a sight word. Sure. Okay. So that's fluency and word recognition. Board games and card games are great for seeing the same word (laughs) over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. We were talking about point salad earlier. You will learn the names of all six vegetables. (laughs) 
it will take one game and you will know what carrots are. <laughs> I mean, yes, they match up with the picture too, but you'll see the name of the vegetable every yeah. single time. The carrot, yeah. the eggplant, the cabbage, they're all there. But this builds into another skill, which is vocabulary. Vocabulary is less about the basic sight words and more about being exposed to more words in general and having more words to be able to pin on something, synonyms as well as just being more specific with mm-hmm. your words. So for vocabulary, I recommend a game that has a little bit more text and a little bit less repetition or a game where an adult can do most of the reading. Silly Street is a great example of this. It's designed for adults to do the reading with a kid. But other games that would have more text and encourage kids to keep sounding it out and work it out, Sleeping Queens, Go Nuts for Donuts, because there's all the different kinds of donuts and the things that they do, Dragonwood, because all of these different items have different names, Happy City, which is one of my favorites, where you don't need to be able to read to play Happy City, but it's going to build your reading skill as you see the names of all these buildings. Mm. You know, another strategy here with a lot of this is if you have multiple kids, maybe your older child is struggling a little bit with reading and your younger child is three or four and it's just not even there yet. You can have your older kids work through the rule book of a game for a younger child because those rule books are still written Mm. fairly simply and they're going to see a lot of things. And maybe this is a game they know how to play. And so they're going to read the rules for this game that they know how to play and be able to kind of put some of those pieces together with the building blocks that they already have. Right. So our 11 year old Asher, we talk about a lot. He's our board gamer. I'll give him a rule book to a game and be like, you learn the game, you figure it out, and then we'll play the game. Well, guess what? In the rules, they've got to talk about those pieces a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Right? So they're going to be repeating those words and they're going to be explaining how those pieces work. And, you know, I, I, I may come to the table 20 minutes, half an hour later once he's read the rule book and he might be like, I don't even know what this thing means or, or what this yeah. part means. And then we'll kind of work through that stuff together. But I've offloaded some of the grunt work on him. It helps him with his reading competence. I mean, we're very fortunate that our kids are, are good readers. Or strong readers anyway. Yeah. But I, I can offload some of the grunt work on him and tackle the finer points with him. And that helps kind of both of us. But you can do that with a child who's six, seven, eight, nine years old, starting to work through that learning process to learn an even easier game. Right? Yeah. Well, and this comes to something that I didn't even mention in the piece, which is once kids have started to get comfortable with reading, something that schools do in their ELA programs is try to expose them to lots of different kinds and styles of text. So not just, you know, your story about Spot the Dog, but nonfiction. Descriptive nonfiction is one kind, but prescriptive nonfiction, like a rule book, instruction manual, things like that, is another kind that it is important to learn how to read that. Mm -hmm. It reads differently than any other kind of text. I mean, look, parsing a rule book is a skill. Every single one of us has a friend in our game group, or maybe we are that person who is the rule person. Yes. Right? Like I have a shirt that says, I read the rules so you don't have to, mm-hmm. right? You know, those people are just really good at decoding the rules and kind of re-explaining them in a more natural way that makes more sense in a 3D space. And they're just really good at parsing that in a way that it just doesn't work for other people. This is why how to play videos exist. <laughs> This is why those things exist. 
because other people don't have that skill. This is a skill that you can help your children learn. And don't be discouraged if they try and it's too hard. Set it aside. This is definitely not one that I would push. Like, no, you oh, have absolutely to learn not. how to read no, no, the no. book. But, but some kids are going to be motivated by that when they weren't interested in reading fiction, reading stories about Spot the Dog or Dick and Jane or whatever, Green Eggs and Ham. Uh, <laughs> I don't need that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Different kids are interested in different things. And if you have a kid who loves, loves, loves playing games, stick them on some rule books and see what they do. Mm. Yeah. Rule books are a great vehicle for my next skill, actually, which is cohesion. Cohesion is the foundation for understanding sentences and paragraphs and longer blocks of text in general. How does one set of words connect to the next set of words? So these definitely show up in rule books, but I wrote about this as more of a technique of talking through games as you're playing them with your kids. So using ordinal words, that's ordering first, second, third, or first, next, last, then. First, I'm going to pull a piece from the bag. Then I will check what kind of piece it is. If it's a monster, I throw it in jail. Lastly, I pass the bag to the next player. Talking through those with your kids will prepare them to recognize those words when they see them and be able to connect them together. Oh, when somebody says first, it's going to be one of a bunch of different things and they go in an order. Mm -hmm. There's also transition words, obvious conjunctions like and, or, but. And, but, nor. I know, but also ones like since, because, in order to, so. Since I rolled green and orange, I can move the orange snail to the green space, or I can move the green snail to the orange space. Tying concepts together like that. And the last big thing about cohesion is using substitution words. Synonyms, pronouns, different ways of referring to the same thing. This is something that young kids can especially struggle with. Our kids who did all turn out to be great readers went through a phase where they seemed very pedantic that they insisted we use the same words every time (laughs) for certain things. You know, it's not just a shirt, it's a t-shirt. Every time. Oh, flashbacks. (laughs) PTSD. It's a t-shirt. But insisting, no, a t-shirt is just a kind of shirt, as frustrating as that is, helps them to understand categorization and substitution and being able to use multiple words to refer to the same thing. Mm, Yep. All right, this is one where you can talk about it, I think. (laughs) Our fifth skill is background knowledge. Watergate was an awesome example of this for, you know, not learning to read, but for older gamers. Yeah, I mean, board games introduce concepts. Every board game is introducing some kind of concept somewhere. And sometimes these games have to provide a lot of framework. Sometimes they only have to provide a little bit of framework. You talk about games like The Color Monster, which introduces this idea of dealing with emotions in a very real and and kind of raw... Concrete kind of way. Concrete kind of way. You know, I mean, this is something that, you know, I, I talk a lot about when kids are kids... Their worlds are so small and we become jaded (laughs) as we get older because we see how big the world is. And because when your world is small, there's so much to reach out for, right? Like you can, there's so much that's new and interesting and outside of your sphere of influence. And there's so much that you can take in and learn. I mean, look at a baby sometime, like once they're, you know, old enough to be able to hold their head up and look at the sense of awe that is in their face when they're just 
going around, right? We walk around and we're like, oh, it's, you know, the city I live in. But they're like, look at all the cars and the shiny and the noises and the birds. And I mean, they don't even have names for all this stuff that they're seeing and they're taking in because their background knowledge is virtually non-existent, right? Board games, much like books, give us the opportunity to experience wildly different things from the comfort of our own home. Yeah. And we can learn a lot of true things. We can learn a lot of fictional things. I mean, think about how much our son has learned about Greek mythology <laughs> through books so and board much. games, right? So you know, but, but it's an avenue by which he can gather all this background knowledge. And it's a really powerful one for that. I actually talked about this a lot last year when I wrote my series on game schooling. Again, aimed more with older children, but things like Unmatched to introduce all kinds of literary figures. Pan Am, which introduced a different way of looking at world geography, but also we learned a fair bit of airplane vocabulary to go with it. And, you know, some history about uh, and a little bit an of airline that, you know, in the grand scheme of things is probably not terribly important, but it's still super interesting. Yeah. We played periodic and learned more about the elements of the periodic table and how they relate to each other, which was huge. On a little kid level, let's talk about firefighters, farm animals. Maybe you can be their introduction to pirates through a game like loot. All these kinds of things that we just talk about and they might not know anything about yet. Yeah, they don't have the baseline knowledge that most adults have. The things that we kind of take for granted that we know are things that our kids, you know, need to learn at some point or should learn at some point. And there's no reason why board games can't be a huge part of that. Our last skill is one that a lot of people struggle with, not just beginning readers. Executive function skills. The two that are specifically used in learning to read are attention, being able to focus your attention on a thing, and exercising your working memory. So working memory is how many things you can hold kind of in short-term memory at once. So like when you get to the end of a long word, you haven't forgotten what the beginning of the word is yet. Focusing attention is really hard for little kids, and that's why games for little kids should be really, really short. Dexterity games are super great for focusing attention down really close for a short period of time. You have to really focus as you're placing that piece on suspend or as you're putting that stick on the nest in Gokuku, as you're trying to very gently pull out that piece in Jenga. And kids will instinctively get that right away, that if they just slam a piece on there, oh, and the game is over and it wasn't any fun, I have to be careful in the way that I do this. Well, you know, when I think about this, one thing that I kind of think about is the building process of this framework of attention, you know, because we deal with this question all the time. How do I get my kids to love board games, right? You know, the answer is you don't, but whatever. <laughs> but, you know, when I th think about this, I think of games that we talk about a lot that can flex, right? And games that can build a framework at a simple level and then add complexity to them, like in recent memory, King Domino Origins, sure. you know, where you start with something very simple, very straightforward, something that doesn't even really require reading, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And then you go up to the next level and then you can go up to a level even beyond that and really build this capacity for working memory and the capacity for attention because you have to focus more. You have to plan more. You have to do, you know, more of these things. I mean, this isn't, in this case, in the case of like King Domino Origins, it's not really a reading thing, but it still deals with these issues of attention and working memory. Right. And that's why I come back to 
really any kind of game playing will still help with at least some of these skills that do build into reading. I mean, I wouldn't look at a game like Go Cuckoo normally and be like, wow, this game is going to be super great to build reading. (laughs) But it really requires that kind of focus, that same kind of focus that reading requires. Yeah, I mean, when I think about this in the context of reading, I'm really thinking of like a kid trying to sound out a polysyllabic word. And like by the time they're on syllable three, they're like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. So this is where working memory comes in. Right. Memory matching games. Super great for this. I mean, that seems obvious, right? But also simpler deduction games like Outfoxed, where it's, oh, now I know this piece of information. Like the culprit is wearing a red scarf. Let me get rid of all of the other foxes that are not wearing a red scarf. And making that connection and then also being able to hang on to some of that as you go through the game. With young kids, it's best to do the kind of deduction game like Outfoxed where you're not needing to hang on to something for a really long time. It's instead something you can go back and check like, oh, what kind of thing were they wearing on their neck? Oh, it was a red scarf. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. But also drafting games will help build this working memory as well. Like, oh, I saw a bunch of pink dinosaurs go by in Draftosaurus. So maybe I shouldn't make room for a bunch of pink dinosaurs over here. Maybe I need to work on other dinosaurs in Draftosaurus. Sure. I'm having that problem right now in a game of Sushi Go that we're playing online. (laughs) I can't remember anything. (laughs) Yup. So even open drafting games like a King Domino or a Dragomino can help with this because you can look and then you can look around at the boards and then you can look again and be like, okay, so I saw you take that one and... I don't remember anymore why I didn't take that one, but that's okay. I can build with what I have now. Mm. So I know this was a huge amount of information. There's more on the Family Gamers website. Reading and using games to teach is something I feel really strongly about, but the key should always be to keep it fun. If it's not fun, don't keep doing it. I totally agree. I think this is a super important topic. You know, reading is such a fundamental skill in our society. And it's something that I think parents really struggle with how to teach their kids how to read, right? It's this is this is a thing that you learn in school. It like, feels I like magic. Yeah, it, it kind of does, you know. I mean, number one, obviously, read to your kids, right? But here, these are some ways that you can break down the understanding of how reading works and maybe ways that you can try to work through uh, helping your kids in some more interesting and fun ways and not kind of rote uh, work that they might be doing in a school setting. Yeah. One last parting piece of advice. If you have kids under eight and you're worried about them learning to read, yes, do these things, but also be patient. Different kids develop at different rates. Up to about age eight, any level of reading (laughs) is okay. Seriously. It's only once you reach about that eight-year-old level where it starts to be a, no, really, if you're still struggling with reading now, it's an actual problem we need to address. Mm. Well... That was an exhaustive look at this topic. So we've got one more thing that we do want to talk about before we wrap up the show this week. I know it's been a little bit of a long show, but I mean, who doesn't want to hear about giveaways? Um, I like talking about giveaways. (laughs) Other than the cost of shipping these days, I am excited for giveaways. So we've got a few giveaways coming up. So 
this is episode 296. We are going to announce the winners of our giveaways on episode 300. So we've got a little bit of time, about a month. These are going to go live on Monday? Yes, on the same day as the show. All right. Now, there may be a couple other ones that become available to us to be able to give some stuff away, but all of the winners are going to be announced on episode 300. So definitely head over to thefamilygamers.com to check out the giveaways that we have there, or just head over to the Facebook group. We're obviously going to post about these in the Family Gamers community as well. Anitra, what are we giving away? We are giving away a copy of Core Quest. Okay. Brand new? Brand new. We're giving away a brand new copy of Blank Slate. All right. We're giving away a brand new copy of Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2. What? Sun Wukong is awesome. Yeah, he's nuts. I personally happen to be an Achilles <laughs> and Patrickles fan myself, but I enjoy them all. We are giving away a opened but otherwise new copy of <laughs> The Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff. Yes, we are. Pristine just opened. Yeah. <laughs> we had an awesome offer from Mark at Grand Gamers Guild for the next two holiday hijinks games. First of all, I'm jealous about this. I didn't even know these existed until he said I would be willing to provide these for a giveaway. So I know, right? Huh. So these will be the birthday burglary and the groundhog gambit. Very cool. The winner of these will have to wait a little bit longer for their stuff than everybody else because they are not out yet. <laughs> you'll be basically part of the pre-order wave. Yes. Which is awesome. And you'll know like before. You'll know ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. So you'll know. So so all these are being given away as independent giveaways. These are all separate because we want to share the love even though it's going to cost us more money. But we love you, listeners. Yes. So head over to thefamilygamers.com and check out all of those giveaways that are stacking up. We're going to tweet about them. We're going to post about them in the community. I mean, we're super excited about you know being able to do this for 300 episodes. I mean, it's kind of insane. Even though I'm the starry-eyed optimist, I never imagined that we would be doing this for so long. I thought it was going to be five episodes. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean... I mentioned before, you know, how special it is to get messages from the community, to get emails. I mean, from a dude who's not even 11, like, that's cool. I mean, Asher's 11, right? So, like, <laughs> I get that age. I totally do. That was really, really awesome. We could not be doing this without you guys. So, thank you so much mm -hmm. for listening to the show, downloading the show, being part of that community. Obviously, Thanks so much to Donnie over at First Move for their sponsorship. I mean, that means a great deal as well. We've been able to upgrade equipment so the show doesn't sound as bad or... Uh, you spend less time. Less time for me to, to edit the show <laughs> or whatever it is. We never would have been able to do video snap reviews if it wasn't for that sponsorship. Like That's there's no true. way yeah. we would have been able to do that. So, you know, I mean, really, it takes a village to make a podcast, I guess. And we're super thankful for all you guys for that. And, and us doing these giveaways is just kind of a way that we can say thank you for all that stuff. So, by the time you listen to this, those giveaways are going to be live, and I mentioned there's a bunch of different ways that you can find those. Anitra, what are those ways? Well, you should be able to find the giveaways on our website, thefamilygamers.com, mm -hmm. on Facebook and Twitter, at FamilyGamersAA. That's right. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, at FamilyGamersAA as well. You can find those snap reviews that I just mentioned by going to YouTube, going to youtube.com forward slash thefamilygamers. The Family Gamers. <laughs> not any other family gamers you can as we mentioned email us we love emails yes we do andrew at the family gamers.com anitra at the family gamers.com check out our family gamers and play games with your kids and a balanced life merchandise t-shirts hoodies and more at the family gamers.com forward slash merch it's tank top weather and there is a sleeveless tank top shirt on the merch site too
Sun's out, guns out. <laughs> Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and as that guy Rich asked me, yes, indeed, we are on Spotify. All right. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. And thanks so much to that team for everything that they do for us. So, Anisha, this has been a lot. Uh, yes. We are not taking that game off the shelf of shame tonight. It's not happening. No. <laughs> but we are excited to play some more games in this coming week. So until next week, everybody, play, play games, games with your kids. kids.